Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast in partnership with Her Game 2. After a week off, we're back and it's a special European edition as we round up the final of the group stages in the Champions League and look at how some of the other leagues across Europe are panning out too. Joining us, we have a very excited lineup. First of all, we have Swedish women's football writer and part of their pitch podcast. It's Mia Eriksson. Hello, Mia. Hello. Thank you very much for coming on today. And back with us from over in Portugal is Inesh Sampaio. Hello, Inesh. Hey there. Always a friend of the pod, always coming on. And now we cross over to Germany and we have with us Alina Ruprecht. Hello, Alina. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. No problem. So crossing loads of international borders and time zones today as we are recording. But I think there's one thing in common. All of us are pretty tired because it's early in the morning. But this is going to be a good podcast anyway, because we're going to start off with Group C, where Arsenal cemented the top spot with a thumping 9-1 win in Switzerland against FC Zurich. A hat-trick from Frieda Marnham, two from Caitlin Ford and Stina Blackstenius, as well as goals from Kim Little and Mana Iwabuchi's first for the club. Zurich finished bottom on zero points and a minus 24 goal difference. But it was the other game in the group that got, gathered the most interest. Leon and Juventus drew 0-0 in France, which means the holders win in London last week at Arsenal gave them the edge to go through as runners-up. This group's been pretty fascinating. The two teams that were expected to go through have actually gone through, but probably not in the order that we expected them to. And Juventus kind of pulled it like definitely to the line. Leah Amir, what did you what did you make of, of this group? Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious that Leon is really missing a striker. Um that's that's my like main point to take away from this group. Uh I think Juventus probably deserved um a little bit more uh than than what they actually ended up in. But I do think that that's uh, also, you know, I, I think that when team goes up against the Lyon, I think you 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 probably you you need the courage to just go for it, and I think that Juventus, yeah, they missed a little bit of that uh, when when they had the chance now. But I'm I'm actually very disappointed with Lyon at the moment. Um, I think, you know. You probably wouldn't think that a team like that would struggle so much without a proper number nine looking at uh, the players they have on the pitch. But obviously they have had uh, injuries on on key players and stuff like that. But I mean, they really need uh, Ada Hegeberg. But I mean, look at Arsenal. I'm, 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 yeah, impressed by by the way they just went out to play this game against Zurich and uh, I'm I'm very pleased obviously because I'm Scandinavian and Frida, Frida Leonardsen Monum and uh, Stina Blackstenius they seem to have get things going uh, again yeah definitely it's it's funny it's funny you say about the um how much Leon has kind of been struggling do you think they're going to find that through Possibly the transfer of Alessia Russo to the club um, over the January transfer window, which I know they're they, all, they they're can't all they can't of. sign her they can't sign her because they they she's a non EU player. Doesn't she? She must have an Italian passport. Her family are Italian. 
yeah that's a good point if if she has then they can they can sign her but if yeah. if she hasn't then then they can't because this is what you face now with the english players um i'm not sure that um leon would like to get rid of lindsay oran <laughs> in favor mm. of of a player like russo but and i do think that I'm not even sure we're going to see other Hegeberg played this season, to be honest. Wow. But they need to do something. So either it's it's getting a loan deal from one of the European clubs or, yeah, if Russo has a has a, an Italian passport, then, then, then maybe. Then fully on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Fully on. laughs> makes makes things a little bit easier for them. But we have until March until the next Champions League is is being played. So a lot can happen between then and now in the sense of both transfers, but also players coming back from injury. And we're kind of seeing the other side of that um, with Arsenal. Alina, do you think the loss of Beth Mead, Viv Mead and both ACLs will kind of deny their ambitions uh, for like winning the Champions League or, or just competing in the Champions League this season? Do you think it's going to lead to a bigger problem or are they two kind of key key players in, in the squad that they're not going to be able to replace? I mean, they are obviously key players, but a team like Arsenal needs to be able to compete on the highest stage, even without these top players. And I think Arsenal's further um, Champions League campaign highly depends on who they bring in on the January transfer window. I mean, there's been rumours about who they'll bring in. I mean, they obviously need strikers as well, just like Lyon. There's been rumours about them signing Debinia from, what was it, North Carolina College, I think. And um, there's been rumors about um, Arsenal getting Sinopoon from from Lyon. Um, so yeah, it remains to be seen who they get in. Um, really, really interesting. Um, but I think um, they obviously got some key players back from injury. If you if you think of um, like Leah Williamson or Raffaele, um, so at centre back, so um, that's a big boost at the same time. On the other hand, we have those two big losses that will ask um, Arsenal some questions. But um, I'm sure they'll find some answers to them in some way. And um, I wouldn't completely rule them out of the Champions League, but I don't think that they'll win it this year. Just as a bit of an aside before before we go on to the other thing, I think we really need to be talking about the injury injuries at Arsenal. Um, consistent like uh, ligament injuries, and not all ACLs, but it... Do you think there has been not player overloading? Because I saw a um I saw a report recently that most um most players who do their ACLs do it within like the first half of the game or in like instead of the second half because it's like warming it's it's warming up to um to play. Like you're more likely to do it in the first 15 minutes after you've been taken on um than later on in the game. So it's not necessarily like overloading of of games, but do you think there's there's issues in, a, in maybe in-house at Arsenal to do with the fact that consistently, because it happened last season and the season before as well, they are being, especially their starters, are being plagued with injuries? Um, it's been an issue. And like you said, not just from this season, the seasons before, not just with Jonas Edeval, also with Joe Montemuro. So it's, it's maybe a club thing or, well, not a club thing, but maybe there needs to be some overhaul or some um, inner, you know, workings to maybe solve that problem. Because if you look at Chelsea, for example, they don't have that kind of issue. So maybe they have to start looking at, uh, obviously, I don't know how it works 
inside Arsenal. But there is clearly something going on that players are consistently injured and they are consistent, consistently missing uh, five, six players at a time. And um, yeah, there needs to be some... They have to think about it definitely because uh, it's 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 an Arsenal thing at this point. It's not just a bad luck thing, or um, or an overall women's football thing, which it is. But at Arsenal, it's been going on for several seasons now. So yeah, definitely they need to look into that because um, it's too many injuries and at the same club all the time. And if they look again, if they look. They're, you know, it's the same city, the same country, Chelsea. They don't have that, you know, uh, injury overload. So maybe they start need to start looking at what Chelsea is doing in terms of player recuperation uh, and studying the players. And for example, Chelsea are very um, concerned with working with the players' menstrual cycles. So. Maybe that's the the model they should be le- looking at to maybe, you know, working to their own model, and prevent the the staggering amount of injuries that they've had these past few years. Over in Group D, Barcelona and Bayern Munich finished level on fifteen points, but Barca finished top on a goal difference. Both sides had home wins to finish off the group stages as Barca beat Rosengard six 0 with a couple from Astat Oshishawa, and they were added by Maria Leon, Fredina Rolfo, Maria Torrejon, and Arine Paderes. Over in Germany, though, Bayern beat Benfica thanks to two second-half goals from Clara Ball. Group D, as expected then, do you think in the bigger games, Hamosa and Piteas might be the Achilles heel for Barcelona to progress in this competition. They seem to be looking like a different squad, not unbeatable as they were last season. Mia, how have how have you found them in this competition so far? Uh, found them as expected. Uh, I think they play the, the same type of football that they did last season, but I do think that uh they they are not unbeatable and they weren't last season either uh the thing is that you need to have if you're going to go up against them you need to have the player on the pitch uh, as the opponent to to execute a good game plan which is to to press them high and uh, like just stop the passing lane be- between uh, their midfielders and i do think that bayern munich showed that if you do that, you can beat them. Uh, I think Lyon did that <laughs> in the final last season. If you do that, you'll beat them. Um, I I I think that Barcelona will be the team to beat, though, uh, if I express myself like that. Um, they, I I also think that when they get beaten, like they did uh, against Bayern. Uh, they probably will wake up, um, and and that's the thing with with Barcelona that they are so good at what they do. But if you have the players to to just use the tactics you need to use to to make them not look good, uh, it's possible to beat them. And I think that. When Bayern did it and Lyon did it in the Champions League final last season, the other teams see it. 
Uh, and all of a sudden, it can be a mental thing as well that when you go up against Barcelona, you know that you can beat them because other teams have. Yeah, seeing Bayern Munich, especially, I think going toe to toe with Barcelona and being able to beat them, I think was probably quite a big mental thing for um, for other other clubs kind of coming coming up against this this force that is seen as this Barcelona side. Alina, were you particularly impressed by that performance? Because realistically, like I don't think Bayern Munich is performing at like as as strongly in their domestic league, which we're going to go on to talk about later, um, than they are in the Champions League. Oh, they are stronger than you might think. Um, but I think the the home leg against Barcelona that was just just a complete surprise for everyone who was at the stadium. I and I remember. Like my colleague who was sitting next to me, like I, I told him to pinch me at, at some point during the game because I couldn't believe that they were 2-0 up or 3-0 up at some point. That was just unbelievable. And if you if you think of the away like in Barcelona, that was a 3-0 win for Barcelona. So and Bayern had a very good first half in that game, I think, um, kept them away from scoring. And I think that's also pretty impressive to keep Barcelona from, from scoring for, for a whole first half of a game. Um, but then it was just like a lack of bit of mentality and stuff and a few things went wrong. But I think Bayern are definitely a team that are capable of correcting their mistakes immediately because um, they, they had it a few times, a, first, a difficult first half in a game. And then, then and then they came strong back stronger for the second half and turned things around. Um, that shows just what, what an incredible mentality the team has. And I think that's something that's really significant for Bayern. So um, I think they are stronger than they are. And I think they also grow into the season more as it continues to go on. Also, we need to keep in mind they got a new coach and new players um, during the summer. So it was a bit of a transition period, but I think they managed quite, quite well with it. And um, yeah, I'm very, very, I'm very pleased with how they performed so far. Inés, this was Benfica's first season in the group stages and they got two wins over Rosengard. How would you assess their debut season in the Champions League? Um, it was actually their second um, season, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, Befica have been like really solidifying their, you know, their position within the uh, grades of the Champions League. They're not a great yet, not by a long shot, because you know, starting out the the the, the group stage that they're not going to, you know. They're going to be fighting to maybe cause a surprise, but they're not one of the candidates to go through. But they've been really, really um, growing. And I think the fact that they've, um, you know, they're, they're having all these games and they're, they're collecting the, this, this European experience, you know, because it's very, very different from the domestic league. Because in the domestic league, they're by far the best team in Portugal. Um, so this is the next step that they want to take. Clearly, this is a project that they, you know, planned so they could have, you know, uh, at least you know, a, a, like a name in Europe, you know, that they wouldn't just come to the group stage of the Champions League and be uh, humiliated or, you know, be the fourth team in the group, et cetera, et cetera. And they were very clearly the third best team in the group. And uh, they were able to really, especially with Bayern, they were able to, you know, almost cause an upset in, in the first leg. And then in the second leg, they were also very solid. Of course, you know, it's different when the other team, the stronger team knows they're qualified and, you know, they, they can 
manage uh, the game in a different way. But still, Benfica have really done very well for themselves, and they've um, shown that you know Portuguese teams have potential. Portuguese players have potential too, and we can. It's it's a path forward, definitely. It's not um, something that you know we're not backtracking. We're all going forward. That is also mirrored in the national team's performances, which, you know, Benfica's success all obviously helps with because the, the players are getting that experience, you know, playing in the biggest stages against biggest players. And that's so good. And Benfica have really shown everyone that, you know, there's there they have room to grow. And even, even then, like, Right now, they're already showing the other teams that they're not just here to, you know, to play the, uh, the the court jester, so to speak. They're they're really trying to get results against the biggest teams, and they're, I mean, they, against Rosengard, they really showed that they were the better team, which I w- I wasn't expecting such a good um, such good results against Rosengard, for example, or even against Bayern. So I'm really, I'm really glad because uh, it's very important for Portuguese women's football that Bifica are getting these results and the amassing these performances against such big teams. Yeah, Rosengard really did not um, did not rise to the occasion um, over over this group stages. Mia, they finished bottom with zero points and only three goals scored. Was it always going to be a tough ask for them, or do you think they weren't concentrating on the Champions League this season? I think there are uh, many perspectives to that. Uh, the first thing is that uh, I think that we all expected them to give Benfica a better matchup uh, than they did. But then you have to look at the fact that the Swedish season ended um, a month ago. They haven't play- played any regular games since then uh, it's been a long season and uh, I mean obviously Swedish football is struggling with uh, to maintain their sort of identity um, and I think that the ident- identity of the league is starting to reflect even on Rosengård uh, now that we, we are not sure of what we are going to be uh, and and stuff like that and i've been very like critical uh, of the of the way that the swedish fa and and the league itself how they work at the moment because they it's very you you can't even tell what they want um and it's very much up to the clubs to to deliver and you can't ask them to do that um i think in in terms of rosengård um I think they have this season uh, played with players that aren't as experienced as uh, the previous season they have been playing. Uh, that's one factor as well. You can't ask, uh, I mean, Sophie Bredgård to to work wonder against a team like Barcelona, even though I think she she and and her fellow Olivia Holt they really did uh, when Barcelona came came to Sweden and played. Uh, probably one of their best performances of the season, even though they lost for for one. Uh, but in terms of that, I do think that they 
they needed to perform better than they did against Benfica. Um, I I think there's where where the perspective of of the fact that the league our, our league had finished and every other team in Europe is playing week in and week out still. Um, and speaking about injuries and stuff like that, it's the periodization in in Sweden. It's different um, from from the other teams participating in the in the contest at the moment. Group A saw host PSG in their final group game. Both teams had qualified, so it was a shootout to see who would finish top. Now, I was amongst the ten thousand in the crowd at Stamford Bridge last night. Um, Sam Kerr opened the scoring just before half time and after the break, Lauren James very confidently put the ball in the back of the net. Then, just seven minutes later, much to the d- delight of the guy who was sat next to us, who spent the entire game shouting, give us another one, Chelsea, just for Christmas, um, Lauren James scored again and was promptly subbed off. I don't really know what was happening with PSG. They didn't really seem to rise to the occasion in the slightest. I don't know if it looked different for people who were watching it on television because even though um even though uh, Chelsea did win they they did win 3-0, it was quite a boring game and they didn't really seem to take it um to PSG. As soon as the first goal uh, went in, PSG kind of decided, well, we're not winning this one anyway, so let's just kind of let them not walk all over us, but no one kind of really, really pushed up against each other. Uh, what, Amir, were you disappointed by PSG's dis- uh, performance or were you kind of accepting that as they knew they were probably, Chelsea were probably going to win, so they probably weren't going to land top of the group and they could probably let them just just play over them? I think I I also I, I'm gonna agree with you that it was quite a boring game. But I think Chelsea have been quite boring in this Champions League um group stage. I do think that for Chelsea it has been all about not conceding goals because that's what made them not go through last season. So that's sort of been their main priority to not concede unnecessary goals, uh, which they have execute that plan they have executed really well I must say Uh, that's the first thing Uh, the second thing is that Chelsea like PSG played Chelsea straight into their hands they they gave Chelsea opportunities to score which Chelsea never miss uh, like high press and uh, mistakes from the back Um, I, I I'm not I mean the French both French sides they miss a proper striker and then it lo- it looks like when they play that they can't decide who is going to take on that goal scoring role uh, on the pitch when they play and i think it's it's the same with psg uh, diani has been great in the league but in the champions league i mean when you go up against better sides you need you need that um, that player that will not miss when the opportunity comes um I think PSG is a tired team. Um, I don't think that even even though they obviously wanted to win and top the group, I don't think that they will take this game as you know a defining game of of their season or how it will look when they go in uh, into the quarterfinals. But I think Chelsea did what the Stamford Bridge. Uh, audience wanted 
uh, they also did what they wanted themselves, not conceding any goals. Uh, but overall, I think, just like you said, pretty boring, solid Chelsea performance. But the goals that Lauren James scored, and I, I must say, I, I think that the goal Sam Kerr score, scored was one of her best goals in a Chelsea shirt. Um, actually, I'm I'm gonna have the courage just to say that, even though some might disagree and say that there's other goals that she has been scoring that has been more spectacular. But I think that she she really stepped up and took the opportunity when it showed up. Yeah, you're right. They're all they're all really nice goals. I especially appreciated the second Lauren James one. The link up play um with Frank Kirby was really nice to watch. It's always nice seeing them and it's nice seeing seeing Kirby playing playing well as well because she's had a kind of spate of injuries um and fatigue that's meant that she's she's been in and out of the squad. It's funny that you say about a boring Chelsea side and that Chelsea are, are boring and they've played really boring in this champ in this Champions League. Um because realistically that's what they've been doing. They've been pumping out one one nil wins on those cold and and, and windy eve like winter evenings. Um and that's what they've needed to kind of get get them to to this point. Are they gonna are they just gonna kind of fly under the radar um and then to like to see if they can push them to the final? Is that is that Emma Hayes's game plan? What do you think, Alina? Do you think do you think she's she's pushing to kind of go under the radar a bit? Not not that Chelsea ever do go properly under the radar, but allowing them to like grind out these performances even when they're not the most the the prettiest things to watch. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't see Chelsea flying under the radar. Um I mean, they performed well and they got their job done. It was a professional performance in every game. So I think don't don't write Chelsea off. I mean, whoever they get in the quarterfinals, that will be a tough, tough game for them. And also domestically, they've been like obviously leading the table, and I think they'll continue to do so. And they are a strong opponent, and that will be a strong quarterfinal pairing with them. Also in Group A, Real Madrid took on our lovely Albanian friends, Villarcia. Real was shocked after five minutes when a stunning free kick from Meggie Docci gave the Albanians the lead, but Caroline Weir equalised on the 11th minute, and 10 minutes later, Teresa Albera doubled them up and had them 3-1 up. Valencia, if nothing else, their fans have added lots of colour to games. Inesh, how great was it to see them at um at Kings Meadow with all of their flares? But they didn't get that many fans attending, especially this home game. But, you know, it is a cold night in December, so I kind of allow it. It's uh, It's been... Actually, I think Vlasnia have been the most exciting team in Group A. I'll just say it because the the other three have been so boring to watch. It's been such uh, an off season for for like PSG and um, Real Madrid and Chelsea. Like Mia said, you know they've been focusing mostly on not conceding. So Vlasnia have really brought the flair, um, pun intended, to you know to to this group because they've shown that you know uh, of course it's uh, they were they're at zero points but their fans are passionate and they've tried to you know surprising Real Madrid right off the bat uh was really nice and they've tried to you know against three teams that are that are top teams they've really tried to show their best and uh like I, I really I really really like when teams from 
countries that are in, you know, the, the, the central European countries of football, uh, you know, for Albania, for example, you know, that they show their style and their grit and uh, they show that they're not just there to, you know, uh, concede goals left and right, and they try to surprise the, the other bigger teams. So they have been. I know they finished with zero points and a lot of a lot of goals conceded, but they they were the highlight of that group for me because um, you know again, <laughs> amongst uh, so many boring games, especially you know you would expect like Mia said you would expect that a Chelsea PSG would be an exciting game, but it wasn't. Uh, so, uh, Vlasnia, I really appreciated um, their, their showing in this Champions League group stage. And it shows that these teams being there is very, very important also for themselves because it helps grow their uh, domestic football, women's football in this case. Um, and uh, their fans, although there weren't many, Albania isn't a super big country either so you know we have to take that into account um but they've really yeah i like i like them i i want to see them next year again because um i think they there's a lot of potential to grow there over in group b wolfsburg made the short trip across the border to austria and sealed the top spot with a comprehensive 8-2 win with seven different scorers as well for the germans Roma also kept up that pressure with a 3-0 win in the Czech Republic against Slavia Prague. Ultimately, it wasn't enough to finish top of the group, though, and they have finished second. Alina, Wolfsburg really flexed their muscles in in that game, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Um, I felt like they had to, and that's what they wanted. They were really, really unhappy with the performance they delivered against Slavia Prague um, last week. That was a 0-0 draw at home. And I think Wolfsburg had more than 34. But no, it was probably 35, 34 shots they had. Um, 14 of them went on target, still no goals. Um, the, the, the defense of Slavia Praha did an exceptional job. Um, so did the so did their goalkeeper. So I felt like Wolfsburg really wanted to make sure to see that top spot in the group and do all that it yeah, that it takes to do so. And if that was scoring eight goals, they are the team to do it. Mia, Roma have had a like brilliant debut season in the Champions League. I don't think we kind of would have expected that they would have made it out of out of this group. Maybe go, going into it as as it was their their first their first time. Do you think they're going to be the the team that other people want to come up against in in the quarterfinals? Do you think they're they're not as strong as the others that have gone through, or do you think they've proved themselves um, that they can hold themselves well in this competition? I obviously think that other team wants to go up against them. I do think what people tend to forget about the Champions League is that, you know, it's 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 not about Roma not being great enough to beat the other teams. It's about the fact that they haven't been in the competition before. They don't have the experience. And when the knife is really at uh, one team's throat, you really have to have that experience I think to to go through um, so in terms of that I do think that the the club that gets to play um, Roma will know that uh, and that will be the advantage not about the fact that Roma is not good enough to be in the quarterfinals but you know that you will have that sort of mental advantage over them uh, from the beginning because they don't have the experience um 
Roma at the moment is really flying uh, on their performances because they are doing great. I'm very pleased also because there's four Swedish players in Roma. So I I would be pleased to see them go far in the competition. Away from Champions League and on to our kind of general look at what's going on domestically through throughout Europe. In Spain, surprisingly enough, Barcelona are top of La Liga with 12 wins out of 12. But behind them, though, it's really tight with only four points separating second place Levante and fifth place Real Madrid. Inesh, at the top, as expected, but rather surprising what's going on behind and Real Madrid only being in fifth. Yeah, um, exactly. It's Well, it's surprising, um, you know, from a... Like, you know, if you don't look close enough, because technically, I mean, like I said, they have been so... If Real Madrid this season were a color, it would be gray, because that's what they've been. They have been boring to watch. They haven't really been dominating the games as you would expect them to. Um, you know, it's just... It's It's been... Clearly, Toril is not being able to really uh, power them, and um, you know, like like he did last season. So I'm starting to wonder: was last season a one-off, or is this se- and this is the season that actually you know is Toril's Real Madrid, or is this season a one-off? And uh, with I don't know, it's just they've been really not good that's all like that's all i can say about them because they've really put themselves in positions where they could lose games and of course they have amazing players like carolyn weir so they're always one step closer to winning games and that's you know that's always the difference between you know having top players and not having top players because even on an off day you can win games because they're just that good. The players that you have are just that good. But at the same time, uh, as a team, they're not working, and um, that shows in their, you know, in their league position. Just fit, like, uh, I mean, it's it's not good. And uh, for example, Levante is Levante technically uh, is having an amazing season with a Portuguese player in midfield, Tatiana Pito, by the way. Um, so. I don't know. It's just it's it's been a really weird season for Real Madrid. They haven't been playing well. Collectively, they're not working, uh, and they've gone by simply by the quality of their players, like Arlen Weir, of course, uh, Sofia Svava. Um, you know, uh, of course, if if you have Atenea and Esther and Avellera. As well, you know, you're always one step closer to winning every single game you're in, but it's it's been it's really not been a, a good show for for the fans and even for Real Madrid themselves because they've not been doing well. So I've, I'm kind of curious to see how they will turn this around because you know, bye bye Champions League. All they have now is the domestic league. Maybe they can that will give them enough space to focus on improving themselves. You know, now that they don't have the uh, three-day cycle to think about, you know, they can focus on uh, preparing the team better for each game, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it's it's been a really bad season, you know, for, for their typical standards for Real Madrid. 
In Germany, the Frau Bundesliga had Wolfsburg at the top this winter break, which is maybe not a surprise. But what is a surprise is they are five points clear of Bayern, who also have Eintracht Frankfurt breathing down their necks. Alina, it looks like it's an interesting battle. Do you think there's grounds for Bayern to make up the league? Um, to be honest, I doubt it. I mean, five points clear is an, is an impressive statement from, from Wolfsburg. And um, they showed it in the games against their like biggest, um, yeah, biggest opponents in the Frauen Bundesliga, and those biggest opponents for like the biggest threats for VfL Wolfsburg are Eintracht Frankfurt, as you just said, and Bayern and Bayern München, and both teams failed to win against um Wolfsburg. Um, recently we saw Wolfsburg beating Eintracht Frankfurt five nil. That was a massive statement. Eintracht Frankfurt didn't show up in that game at all. Um, at that point, Frankfurt were second on the league table. Um, Wolfsburg were first and are still first. And you wouldn't expect a, a battle between first and second off the table to end 5-0. Um, that wasn't, uh, yeah, we call it like top game in Germany. And that wasn't, and the game didn't, didn't hold what it promised, to be honest. It was really disappointing from, from, uh, from Frankfurt. And for Bayern, they played um, against Wolfsburg in October. That was a 2-1 loss, a narrow one, I would say, because Bayern came back sort of in the second half of the game. Um, so kind of Bayern showed again, it is like it is impo- it, it is possible to yeah, kind of to to ask Wolfsburg questions, but they always find an answer for it. So I don't really see Wolfsburg dropping points and like dropping five points in the league. They're still two more games against um, Frankfurt and um, Bayern München, but I don't see them, um, yeah, I don't see them losing those games, Wolfsburg. So um, I think right now the most, in, the more interesting battle in the Frauen Bundesliga is the battle for the third um, league spot. And because that obviously gives you um, a place in the qualification round for the Champions League. And I think that will be a battle between three teams at the moment, because I'm pretty sure that Bayern can secure the second place. So the third place in the league table, that will be a thing between Eintracht Frankfurt, TSG Hoffenheim and SC Freiburg. Freiburg have been doing very, very well this season. Um, They have great individual players, but they really showed up as a collective. They are playing exciting, attacking football. Um, got a new coach with a new coaching yeah, philosophy, obviously with a new game philosophy. That seems to work quite well. Only thing with Freiburg is that they concede a lot of goals, but they also score a lot of goals. So it's pretty much balanced. And for Teske Hoffenheim, yeah, they just sacked their coach. Um, they'll bring in a new one. Let's see who it is. Um, because they were quite unhappy with how they are doing it. Because um, we remember last season, um, they had um secured um Champions League qualification. Um, they made it to the group stages where they came up against the likes of Arsenal and Barcelona. Um, they beat Arsenal at home. That was very impressive. But afterwards, it just went a bit downhill for them. So I think them bringing in a new coach for the for the second half of the season shows that they have the ambition to compete for the third spot. And um, I'm pretty sure they'll, um, yeah, they'll be tough concurrents for, for Eintracht Frankfurt, who also need to yeah, analyze what went wrong. They're out of the League Cup, um, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, those teams are struggling. And I think that's the most much more exciting battle that we have in the Frauen Bundesliga right now. I think first place will be Wolfsburg, second one will be Bayern Munich, and third one we'll see. Over in France, as we mentioned, Lyon are currently second behind PSG. In the last round of fixtures before the winter break, PSG won 1-0 at Lyon to go top. Inesh, PSG know how to beat Lyon in the league, so it won't be easy for Lyon to overhaul them when they 
when they come up against each other again, will it? No, it will not. But we'll see because uh, I think the uh, winter transfer market can bring in a lot of you know improvements for both Lyon and PSG. So we'll see what, what will happen there because both need, uh, like you all said, both need um, uh, strikers uh, with Katoto and Hagerberg injured. So that is um, something, you know, whichever team manages to solve to solve that problem the best, I think will end up uh, topping the league at the end, because um, and they're both um, going forward in the in the Champions League, so they both have like the, the same um, charge of games. Uh, right now, they're both play they're both going to play every three days, etc. So they're pretty much um, level in that sense, but. Um, yeah, PSG have been, they've been cracking that code for a while now, uh, since uh, two seasons ago when they first won the league. Uh, so no one knows how to beat Leon better than PSG, as we all know, uh, as what happened, as like happened uh, two seasons ago, actually exactly in the Champions League as well. So if I, if I recall correctly. So we'll see, because it's always, you know, it's always PSG and Lyon and the others. And by the way, PS, uh, Paris FC have done a wonderful job in recent seasons being the best amongst uh, the others. Um, has had Montpellier and Fleury, surprisingly, Fleury has been really good, in my opinion. Uh, and I mean, they're fifth in the league. So that's really, uh, that's been really good for from them. But PSG and Lyon will always have, you know, fight for that top spot. But Paris have the advantage right now and they won away, which is amazing for them. Again, Lyon with all their players missing are struggling, but PSG are struggling too. So it's been, um, it's exciting. But I think PSG have grabbed this top spot and will not let go of it so easily. But we'll see what happens in the transfer market in January because, again, whichever team manages to solve the uh, striker problem best will probably do best like for the rest of the season. So we'll see. Mia, Rosengard wrapped up the Dalmau-Svenska comfortably at the end of November, which at least means they can give the Champions League another go next season. But can you see any competition for them realistically, domestically, coming in in January? Uh, yes. <laughs> I don't think that Rosengård will be uh, that uh, dominating next season in the Dalmalsenskan, actually. Uh, I, I do think that we have several teams in Sweden that will be able to compete against them, um, especially in the likes of the the, the clubs uh, with with men's teams uh, in them and that's Beko Hek and and Hammarby especially um i do think that also what people have to realize it is that Malmö FF uh, in Malmö um they will play uh, what we say in Sweden is division 1 and that's one uh, division below our championship uh, division um and they have been just flying through the 
through the serious system here in Sweden and Malmö FF is one of the richest uh, Swedish clubs. Uh, what is so fascinating about that club also is that they have the setup already to play in the Damalsvenskan. Um, so, I mean, obviously Rosengård is a it's a small club, and I do think that that they will start to struggle. And when they start to struggle off the pitch, I think we will see that on the pitch as well. Um, it's going to be a very exciting season in Sweden next season when when the league kicks kicks off because I do think that we have several competitors to to really go up against Rosengård to compete for the league title and that's uh, Beko Hecken like I mentioned before Hammarby uh, also but also Linköping uh, because Linköping will have I mean they have a history uh, in the Swedish league also a very small club but before the big clubs takes over because that's that is what's going to happen in Sweden uh, I do think that one team to look out for next season is is Linköping uh, which makes me happy because that's where I live and that's my team but um also the fact is that we have another actually big men's club with with uh, a women's team in Sweden next season in the Damansanskan and that is IFK Norrköping um, they also have a men's team in the highest division and and I do think that we, we have to take it there uh, because of the setups but I will also mention this because I've, I've actually been thinking a lot about uh, a team like Beko Hecken that have um, a really good setup between the men's uh, team and the women's team that you need to have people running the show that knows women's football not just football, because we are at a crucial state in Sweden with, with the women's game now. So you you can't just be a big men's club uh, with, with the women's team. You have to have people behind the scenes, uh, also in the management, that knows the product of women's football and that knows the women's game. I think we saw that a little bit in Beko Hecken the first half of the season uh, that just ended that they they had the greatest setup but they changed coach and, and the management and that coach had never uh, coached a women's team before uh, so in terms of that i think it's exciting times in sweden as well even though i i i'm pretty sure that the swedish league will will drop uh, in the uefa ranking um the next years sadly now, I, I really, really, really agree with what Mia said, uh, because, you know, in Portugal, you have uh, two super big clubs that came to women's football. There's a third one that didn't, and that's shameful. But those two are Sporting and Benfica, and Benfica are currently, like, by far the best team in Portugal in women's football. And Sporting are currently sitting at fifth, fifth in the league, which is, like, they're it's really, really bad for one of the three biggest clubs in Portugal. It's really bad. And that come, that stems from precisely, you know, uh, Benfica being a professional setup that has been careful with, you know, who they put in power, who who is running the, the, the women's football department and sporting uh, not being run well at all. So it's not just, you know, oh, we have a professional setup, let's transfer it to the women's football uh, department and let's make a women's team out of it. Oh, we'll be su successful regardless of what we do because we're so big. 
and you know that won't work because you need people who actually know women's football and who will and also who will keep the investment running which is really important because sporting you know it's really showed that the uh, investment has dropped uh and also they have they don't have really uh, knowledgeable people uh running the club although the manager their manager is amazing by the way so it's not necessarily her fault but um yeah whereas with Benfica you've all seen what they've done in the Champions League how much they've grown in recent years so I really really agree with with what Mia said you know it's also about the people you put in charge because they need to know women's football and they need to care as well it's not just throwing money at uh, a department and saying, create a, a women's team out of this. It's, that doesn't work. I see elements of what both of you, Mia and Inos, have described in their domestic leagues. I see elements of those two like, perspectives in the Frauen Bundesliga, and I would like to add something on that, because I think what needs to be emphasized for the Frauen Bundesliga, the domestic German women's league, is that it's not a fully professionalized league. We have like four clubs minimum who are fully professional professional where footballers can really focus on football only and who don't have to work outside of football and for the other clubs lower in the table the lower the, the further down you go in the table the more the players have to work outside of football to make a living because they can't just make a living out of football and i think that's also kind of creating an unequal competition in the Frauen Bundesliga because obviously a lower ranked team like let's let's have a look at Turbine Potsdam for example who will, who will probably relegate at the end of the season which is just devastating having in mind that they made it to Champions League finals I think they won it even sometimes and now they are at, at the verge of just dropping out of the first league that's just horrible but a team like that where players have to work outside of football where they don't have like good structures, good resources in the club where, in, where invest, investments are not being made. They can't compete with the likes of VfL Wolfsburg or Bayern Munich. And Turbine Potsdam was just like Rosengard in Sweden. They don't have a big men's club behind them. They're an independent women's football club. And I think clubs like that will really struggle despite all the tradition and history they have written to their names. And that's just such a shame and it's really, really disappointing. But I think that's really important important to emphasize when speaking about the Frauen Bundesliga, when speaking about the competition, like the likes of Eintracht Frankfurt, TSG Hoffenheim, they just professionalized their structures recently. So um, Wolfsburg is like years ahead of other teams in the league. They are even years ahead of Bayern Munich. So I think German League will might be more equal in the future. But what it needs is like a fully professionalized league structures and all of that. So I mean, German teams are doing well, but in the league itself, there's a lot to be done. And I just hope that it gets solved in the future. Yeah, it's it's not difficult to make the leap to say that, well, exactly. We're, we're seeing how well Roma's doing in the Champions League this season, for example. Um, Syria um, has has gone professional now. If you are having more competition on in your like regular club level, of course you're going to end up um, doing better um, doing better internationally. Mia, how um how have you enjoyed the Italian leagues this season, especially since they have gone professional? Uh, I've I've enjoyed it uh, very much. I I think it, the Italian league has been one of the best league to watch uh, this season because of you know perhaps we can see the 
quick result of the league uh, going fully pro uh, with the likes of Roma and also Fiorentina and Inter. Um, I mean, it's not just one or two games now uh, a season that is really competitive uh, when you watch them. Now we have probably like at least 10 games we, we can we can expect to, to be very, very tough. And uh, I mean, also, I, I do feel that Roma is a little bit like Manchester United was a couple of season, season, seasons ago when they were top of the league this time of the year. And then when everything was going to wrap up, uh, you could see that you could still see the differences. Uh, so I would say that I expect Juventus to win the league again. Uh, because of that, because now there's only three points uh, between Roma and Juventus at the top of the league. Um, so also because of the fact that Juventus is not going to play more Champions League games, uh, so they can just focus on the league and the domestic uh, competitions, um, while Roma will have their heads all over the place, like and minds uh, because they are going to play a quarterfinal in Champions League and I do think that that's Juventus advantage um, even if that sounds strange um, so I expect Juventus to be top of the league when when the season is over um, but it's it's for sure an exciting league to watch at the moment and if, if people haven't watched it yet I do think that they really should tune in um, during the spring to watch a couple of games. And that is all we have time for here. We're going to be back next year to review all of the action uh, and bringing the latest news from all across the women's game, as always. Alina, where can people find you on social media? Um, they can find me on Twitter. My app name is Alina. Um, then that's the lower. How's that called? The underscore. 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 Thank you. Underscore RXP. And then me and a friend, we've also created um account where we cover German women's football in English. It's called Bundesliga Lower Score F. Um, make sure to follow that one and um yeah, keep an eye out for some updates about German women's football um in English next year. Perfect. Inesh, how about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter as well at uh, Inesh4Simpayu. I think that's my my Twitter handle. Uh, I'm never sure. Um, but yeah, where I just talk about women's football uh, a lot in Portuguese and in English. So if you're trying to learn Portuguese, go there. If you're trying to learn Spanish, it's also good because the lingu- languages are very similar. So no, I'm kidding. But um. Actually, Portuguese is harder. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, find me at Inesh for Sampaio. It's not an easy name. I'm sorry. But if you look up Sada Sampaio, the model, it's the same surname. We're not related, though. Cheers. And Mia, how about you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Mia underscore Eriksson. Or actually on Instagram as well at uh, photo. Also, make sure to follow us on Twitter at TWFP1 and on Instagram at the Women's Football Podcast. 
make sure to subscribe and leave us a review if it's going to be five stars. Have an absolutely lovely Christmas, holidays, whatever you celebrate. And we will see you in January.